and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, I am excited today. I'm off to Bicton International this week. It'll be my first time going to a stay away show reporting since Burgeon last August. And it looks like I will be needing to take my sun cream. So I will be remembering to pack that. This week, I'll be talking to up-and-coming event rider Yasmin Ingham about her prospects for this week's Under-25 National Championship and her first experience riding in that class. I didn't really know what to expect at all, apart from everyone was very, it's big, Bramham, it's, am I ready for this? Yeah, definitely one I'll remember forever. I'll also be chatting to our news team about the British nominated entries for the Tokyo Olympic show jumping about recognition for grooms, road safety, and plans for the logistics at the Tokyo Games. Finally, trainer Jason Webb gives some advice on helping horses who won't stand still while you're mounting. Why do horses not want to be mounted? Well, there's three main reasons. They could well be frightened. Another reason is anticipation, or they could be frustrated. More from Jason later. For now, Pick those shavings out of your horse's tail and let's get going. I'm delighted to be joined by our podcast guest this week, Yasmin Ingham. Yas has won the British Championships at under 16, 18, 21 and 25 levels. And she secured her first big senior win last year in the class for eight and nine year old horses at Burnham Market. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Ham podcast, Yas. Hi Pippa, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's lovely to have you on. And this podcast is coming out in the week of the International Fixture at Bicton. It's the event which has replaced Bramham this year. So let's kick off by talking a little bit about your history with Bramham and the prestigious under 25 class that takes place there. You first rode in that class in 2018 on Nightline. What are your memories of going to Bramham that first time? Um, yeah, it was um, 2018 I first went to Bramham. I actually went there off the back of winning the Under-21 Championship at Houghton on Reiki DJ. So I'd come off the back of a really good result. So I had, you know, I was quite confident, feeling quite good. And then I'd gone to Bramham for the very first time um, with kind of, I didn't really know what to expect at all, apart from everyone was very you know, it's big, Bramham, it's, you know, meaty. And I used to think, am I ready for this? Um, And I remember going and walking the course and thinking, oh my goodness, this really is like a four and a half star, as everybody says, like it really is a huge, huge cross-country track and so well built and beautiful. And um, yeah, I did walk it and have a bit of a panic, but I then remembered that I was riding Nightline, who is an amazing cross-country horse. So again, I thought, you know, hopefully we'll we'll have this and we'll we'll go around clear on on the Saturday. And he was excellent. He flew around. I didn't quite get the time that year, but I was. Um, it was sort of only my second, I think, four star long. So I was still quite new to the level and just kind of wanted to complete really. Um, but no, it was it was an amazing experience and um, yeah, definitely one I'll remember forever. Yeah, I think you actually had a double jump in clear and finished up 10th, which was, as you say, pretty good for your first Bramham. And then a year later, you came back with Sandman 2 and actually finished second in the class to Ireland's Cahill Daniels. So you took the national under 25 title. We're going to talk a bit more about about that result, but give us a bit of the context, first of all, around you and Sandman. How did you come to get the ride on him? Because he had already been a senior European championship team silver medalist with Pippa Funnel in 2015 before he came to you. What's the story there? Yeah, it was um, it was amazing, actually. I've got two very, very supportive and loyal owners in Sue Davies and Jeanette Chin. Um, they are so mad keen for eventing like I am. So we're all such a great team together. Um, and we were on the lookout for a more sort of experienced horse that was sort of already at the level in 2018. And I remember we went to try him down at Pippa's. Um, we actually didn't go to try Sandman. We actually went to try another horse. And Pippa said, oh, I do actually have another horse in, in the stable that I would show you. Um, I think he would be great, you know, really suited to you and, you know, see what you think. And she pulled out Sandman out of the stable and I thought, oh God, that must be a mistake. You know, she must be, it must be a different horse. And she said, no, no, it's, it's Sandman. 
and obviously all our jaws kind of dropped and we're like oh my goodness um and we tried him and he was just absolutely lovely um and Sue and Jeanette ended up buying him for me to ride which was just amazing to have um the opportunity to get gain experience from a horse that's sort of already up there at the level and been very successful so I was very very excited to get a partnership built up with him um we ended up going to Osberton in 2018 and we were second in the three star long there which was a good result I'd only had him a few months um and then we sort of had Bramham in the pipeline for 2019 um and I thought wow hopefully we'll be ready you know I'll have only have had him just about a year at this point so hopefully we'll be have a good partnership to go and give that a good go um and yeah it, it went really 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 well um we had a great dressage I think he was maybe second after dressage um flew around the cross country inside the time um had a really great ride cross country just a few little hairy moments um but I mean it's very rare you get a cross country round where you can say it was absolutely perfect and you hit every beat and every note so um there was a couple of little hairy moments and got round and inside the time and then went into show jumping in the lead on the final day and it was um really unfortunate we had a really unlucky rail in the treble and ended up finishing second I think it was by something silly like 0.1 I lost the win by which was just gutting but again um you know you learn from mistakes and um it was still a fantastic result and to still pick up the under 25 British title was a huge achievement so um yeah I can't complain too much at that I don't think <laughs> no and, the, and of course the pair that you that you lost the uh, the sort of overall win to went on to be the individual bronze medalists at the senior European championships Cahill Daniels and Reagan Rua that autumn so it's hardly a bad standard to be setting if you're finishing <laughs> just behind them exactly exactly yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> So let's jump forward to this year's Under-25 Championship. It's at Bicton this time. Have you ridden at Bicton before? I actually haven't. No, I've never been to Bicton. So I'm actually really looking forward to going to an event and just having a totally blank canvas of what to expect. Um, I've heard lots of amazing things and I know that the um, the organiser, Helen West, is um, really keen and wants to make a good job of it. So I'm really looking forward to um, going down there and seeing what it's like. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same position, Yaz, because I've never been there and I'll be down there reporting for the week. So also looking forward to seeing it. It's a long, longish journey from you, isn't it? Because you're Cheshire based. Yes, it'll be. Um, I, I wouldn't even know how long, to be honest, it would be. I do know it's in Devon and it's a long way. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, you'll just be getting in the lorry and, and heading on down. But tell us more about the three horses that you're riding there. We've already talked a little bit about Nightline, who was the horse that you made your Bramham debut with. Um, tell us a little about his history and his story. How did you come to ride him? Um, so he is actually owned by myself, my mum and dad. So he is my horse. Um, we ended up buying him at the end of 2015. So we actually saw him advertised on Horse Quest and it was on Burley Weekend, I remember. And I thought, wow, you know, he looks brilliant. He was seven at the time when he was for sale. Um, he'd done, I think, a handful of novices and a one intermediate, I think, with his previous owner. Um, very green um, but just such a raw talent and we went down to look at him literally the Burley weekend we thought we'd best get in there before people get back from Burley and see him and then go and want to try him so we thought we'd get ahead of the game um, went to try him and the one thing that I just absolutely loved when I when we tried him we went down into a big cross-country field and there was hundreds of cross-country fences with you know advanced level with no flags on skinnies all sorts and he just cruised around everything and made me feel so safe and that was just the most important thing for me was I wanted a horse that was um safe cross country and had a good jump and you know everything else that came with him was sort of I could deal with that or improve him or whatever um so we did end up buying him then and from there we produced him from um, two star level all the way up to five star so um, he was the horse I did my first four star long on my first five star at Poe in 2018 um, so he's been an amazing horse and very unexpectedly been successful at every level so I'm very grateful to have 
to have had him and um, to have, you know, experienced first time each level on such a brilliant jumper. So I'm really looking forward to victim with him um, and giving that a good go there. Yeah, he's a horse who isn't maybe as flashy on the flat as your other pair. But as you say, you sort of owe him so much up through your career. And uh, he's a he's a really reliable horse in those jumping phases. And let's talk about Rehi DJ. Uh, he is a horse you mentioned earlier that you took the under 21 national title on. And he's also now been all the way up to five star. Tell us a bit more about him. So Piglet is, um, he's just excellent. I really, really love this horse. Um, he was bought as a six-year-old from Ireland, um, again by Sue and Jeanette, my owners. And he's been produced um, up through the levels. Again, a huge highlight was winning the under-21s at Houghton. Um, and then going on to the European Championships, Young Wide Europeans, and finishing on the joint score of bronze, but ending up in fourth, which was a bit frustrating. Oh, so um, close. <laughs> very close. We just missed out on, um, it was actually the show jumping time it went down to, and um, Alex Kennedy was um, a couple of seconds quicker than me, which was just um, obviously great for her, but unlucky for me. Um, but yeah, again, it's still a great achievement to have been fourth at the Young Riders. And then we've kind of just built our way up to four-star level and he's come out feeling absolutely fantastic this year. We took him to Aston two weeks ago and he did a 26 double clear and I just picked up um, a couple of time penalties and he finished 12th in a very, very competitive section. So it was a great prep run before Bicton and um, yeah, I really, really want this horse to go well at Bicton because he deserves it actually um he's a very very solid horse fantastic jumper and um can pull out a really quite smart test too mm. and he went to Poe to the five star long last year and things didn't quite work out for you in that competition in the sense that he had a couple of problems cross country and then didn't trot up on the final day but I'm sure you both gained a lot of experience do you feel that coming back to four star long level having been five star with him does that really make you feel quite secure going into into this event um yeah it was little blips on the cross country um which was a shame actually just a bit inexperienced um and again i probably could have rode a little bit better so there's always things to take away from the bad times you know you can always learn from your mistakes and that's the most important thing is that i get something out of that um so i'm really looking forward actually to um taking him to bicton for the four star long and hopefully um he'll be full of confidence as he has been this spring and we can give it a really good shot and as you say, I'm just looking at the results from that Aston La Walls section that he finished 12th in. And it was essentially a British Olympic trial in all but name, I think. And, um, you know, he's really up there with, with the top horses ahead of a couple of horses who were then listed among the British Olympic nominated entries. So really great to be in that in that competitive section. You know, there's 12th in four star shorts and there's 12th in four star shorts. And this was uh, definitely one of the most competitive sections I've ever seen. So good to see Ray DJ getting that result. Yeah, I mean, it was um, absolutely star-stood as the, se the section. Um, I just picked up very frustratingly about three, 3.6 time penalties, I think, and without them, he'd have been fifth. So I was slightly kicking myself because I think we could have, you know, could have quite easily have got inside the time. Um, but unfortunately, I'd had a bit of a fall a couple of days prior to Aston. And um, I was just riding a little bit more defensively than I would do usually. And I think that was probably down to me just being a little bit nervous. But um, again, I'm super happy with the result anyway. And um, there's always a what if or a but if, but, if, but you know, you've just got to um, take the good days and appreciate them. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I didn't know you'd had a fall. Was that at a competition or at home? Yeah, I just had a, a really unlucky tumble on the cross country um, at an event the week before. So um, I, I was a bit unsure if I'd get to Aston, um, but ended up being OK to compete. And um, yeah, I'm obviously absolutely fine now, but it's just one of those things in eventing. Anything can happen. 
<laughs> yeah, and you do have to pick yourself up again to go back out around a big course like Aston is uh, definitely, definitely a brave thing to do. So well done on that. <laughs> so last but definitely not least of your entries in that under 25 class at Bicton, we have Banze de Loire. He's the horse that you scored that big win in the young horse section on at the end of last year. Tell us about sort of buying him. I know he's a French horse and, and how you came to take the ride. Yes, so Banzai is probably one of the most naturally talented and exciting horses I think I've ever had the privilege of riding. Um, he was bought again by Sue and Jeanette in 2019. It was about May time we went out and tried him and he was bought through Rachel Wakefield at Uptown Eventing. So she managed to get together the contact and we, we took a visit out to France and tried him. And I honestly, I, I got on and didn't want to get off. Um, to be quite honest, he was just so powerful and just very, he excelled in every single phase, you know, with the dressage, the show jumping and the cross country. And we did all three whilst I was there trying him. And you're just looking for faults and you really just, I couldn't find any. And um, again, Sue and Jeanette were super keen to get their hands on him. And um, he would, you know, with with Paris 2024 in mind, obviously, that's a really exciting age that he is now. Um, so he'd be sort of definitely planning on heading towards Paris 2024. So, um, yeah, very exciting. Unfortunately, the first year I did have him, I only managed to get a few events in on him as we didn't get until the middle of the season. And I'd had a bit of a fall in that um, June or July time, I think it was. So I was off for about six weeks and just managed to get a couple in at the end of the season. But my first sort of proper season on him was 2020, which again was, wasn't really a season, unfortunately. It was very bitty, um, but it was amazing to step him up to four star sort of towards the end of 2020. And he had a great result at Burgeon in his first four star. He did a 27 dressage double clear with two time and ended up in the top 10 there, which was super. And then went on to Burnham Market and um, was incredible, did a beautiful test and a double clear inside the time to win the eight and nine year old championship. So definitely coming into this year, I, I definitely thought Bramham would be a great um, first four star, um, Bicton, sorry, would be a great first four star long for him. Um, and he's had a good prep this year. Um, we've had a couple of little tweaks here and there with the cross country and his show jumping is touch wood always very, very good. So um, I'm very much looking forward to Bicton and seeing what he's got up his sleeve. <laughs> well, really exciting to have those three horses going into Bicton. But before we finish, Yaz, you've mentioned your great owners, Sue Davies and her daughter, Jeanette Chin, a couple of times. You are originally from the Isle of Man, now based in, in Sue's yard. Briefly, tell us that story about how you met Sue and, and sort of came to ride for her. Yeah, it's, it's such a funny story, actually. Um, it's really, um, I kind of believe a lot in fate and... Um, what happens at the right time and you know everything happens for a reason and it actually all started in 2013 um I'd just come back from winning double gold at the Pony European Championships in Arezzo in Italy and um my mum had actually previously before the the event sent a letter to Sue who is a Isle of Man resident as well saying that um, oh my daughter she's um doing the ponies and she's been selected to represent great britain at the european championships you know we'd love for you to come and watch we know you know we really support um sue had a lot of event horses with um mary king and a lot of other event riders as well so she was very well known in the sport already and mum said oh we watch all your horses compete and we're you know huge fans and Sue very kindly replied and said, unfortunately, I'm busy um, during that time, but I wish you lots of luck and it would be great to sort of maybe go for a coffee when she gets back. And we did take her up on that offer and went for coffee and we had a really long chat and she eventually ended up offering me the ride on two of her horses that she had at the time. Um, one being Fern Halerko, who was a, um, he was again, a five-star horse competed by Mary King. Uh, which was incredible. She wanted to drop him down to sort of junior level. 
which was really exciting for me to have such an amazing horse to learn from and do the the lower levels with the juniors and then a homebred horse um called Pewit to Ciro who was again a, a lovely lovely homebred mare of Sue's and um it all kind of went from there really she um offered me to come to the yard and I can work for her and ride the young horses and break in some of their young show jumping horses that they bred um and it's all kind of spiraled from there really um you know I've spent I've been here since 2014 so it's been quite a while now and I feel like we've we've built up an amazing partnership all of us and the yard works so well um there's always lots going on and um yeah I'm just super super lucky to have such supportive owners and um you know they're great friends as well so it's it's a really nice situation actually and it's again nice that it all sort of started from my home in the Isle of Man. Yeah a great setup you have there and it's been great to talk to you today Yaz and hear all about your sort of Brammer memories and hopes going into Bicton this week all the best for that that competition and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much Pepper. it was really good to chat. So I'm joined today by two of my colleagues from the Horse and Hound News Desk. So first of all, it's hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you, Eleanor? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Had a lovely uh, sunny weekend reporting on the Costa del Pycom, uh, which is always a lovely venue and always top sport. And um, yeah, it's fab day. Lovely, brilliant area trial, uh, which Robert Whitaker won. You can read the report in this week's Horse and Hound. Um, and a very strange patch of sunburn on one leg. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, and we also have with us our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. How are you, Lucy? I'm very well, thank you, Pippa. I've been doing my best to avoid the sunburn. Um, I've managed it so far, which is is something, as anyone who knows me, I'm very pale and very ginger. Um, but I've been enjoying yeah, riding. That It's that perfect moment, isn't it, where there's just a light breeze, enough of a breeze to get rid of the flies before we hit peak horsefly season. So I'm making the most of it while I can. And the ground's perfect too. Absolute canter where you can and um, not too hard yet. It's ideal. Well, perfect horse weather. I have to say, I did get slightly sunburned last week when uh, I was at the uh, eventing practice day that I mentioned on last week's podcast. And um, because I was wearing short sleeves, which I wouldn't if I was competing because it was sort of a schooling event. And uh, so I had this proper glove line where I've got white hands and brown arms. So I feel like I may be stuck with that for the rest of the summer now. But never mind, onwards and upwards. So we excitingly had our second British lineup for the Olympic nominated entries coming in this week this was the show jumpers so as a reminder the nominated entries go to the fei and on to the olympics and it's a list of people from whom the team will eventually be chosen so this isn't the final squad but if your name is not on this list you're definitely not going to tokyo is sort of how it works so as with the eventers they named nine primary combinations and some reserves in this case they were reserve horses for the same riders but we will focus on the nine and i'm going to find out what Lucy and Eleanor's thoughts are on this list but first of all I will tell you who they are so our show jumping Olympic nominated entries for Great Britain are going to be Scott Brash with Hello Jefferson Harry Charles with Romeo 88 William Funnel with Equine America Billy Diamo Ben Mayer with Explosion W Emily Moffat with Winning Good Holly Smith with Denver Alexandra Thornton with Cornetto K Ellen Whitaker with Arena UK Winston and James Wilson with Imagine Demuse. so that is the list Eleanor what are your thoughts Oh, I mean, it's all just so exciting. It's the Olympics rushing ever closer. And when you start getting, um, you know, announcements like this, you're like, ah, it's actually happening. Um, so exciting. I think Explosion W is one of my favourite horses around at the moment. Um, him and Ben had, I think it was their eighth global champions tour grand prix win at the weekend and just you know silver individual medalists at the euros two years ago very very exciting uh scott brash has confirmed or it's been confirmed that scott brash has got hello jefferson on the list uh holly smith's denver looking amazing and they were in action at the nation's cup at the weekend as well so yeah just can't wait and lucy what were your thoughts Again, like Eleanor, it's suddenly starting to feel really, really real. And when we get lineups like this with just the strength of talent on that list is 
is yeah, phenomenally exciting. I was lucky enough to be reporting at the European Championships two years ago where Ben and Explosion W won an individual silver. And I'm just, I'm really hoping for, for a repeat of a big star moment, if you like. You know, where we saw Nick Skelton and Big Star at London 2012, their phenomenal performance and then just so unlucky to have that one rail and then following that up with Golden Rio. And well, Ben and Explosion W again at the Europeans, they had the... They just jumped out of their skin all week. It was just a masterclass and were so unlucky to have that one rail, which put them in silver. So goodness me, a gold would be wonderful. Um, looking at that list again as well, there's, I mean, so many exciting names to talk about. This is a huge moment for Harry Charles. His father, Peter, of course, was on the gold medal winning team at London. Uh, Harry's only 21 and he is a real rising star. And we look again at Holly Smith, who was on that, on that bronze medal winning team at the Europeans um, with the beautiful and lovely late heart destiny and Denver's an exciting horse not only have they had some big Grand Prix wins and big you know just big wins in general but he was an event horse to, in, in the start, early stages of his career so that's an exciting and interesting one as well to watch and then we look at Ellen Whitaker and Irene UK Winston another you know superstar combination they've had some big big international results and I spoke to Ellen a couple of years ago at Bolsworth and she was telling me how she has she's done a lot of work in the gym to get physically strong enough to get the best out of that horse so I could talk about them all all day to be honest mm. but um Pippa what what are your thoughts yeah I was just going to mention Emily Moffat as well who's a very, another very young rider with winning good she is based in the US and has helped had some help from from Ben Mayer for, for some time and then uh, from Cameron Hanley and I think it's really exciting to see sort of a, a broad range of ages in this you know William Funnell is obviously not an old rider but at the older end of this list and down as you say down to Harry Charles is only 21 and in the middle we've got Scott Brash and Ben Mayer who have been the stalwarts of our team over the past 10 years and then a host of other riders sort of supporting around them it feels like we might be starting to get some strength and depth maybe in British show jumping and yeah it'll be exciting to see what the final squad looks like thank you for your thoughts on that Lucy and Eleanor let's talk about some other news stories too Lucy you have been listening to the FEI sports forum this week and there was a lively discussion about grooms there what was the basis of that and, and what did the FEI president Igmar DeVos say? So the basis of this really was that the FEI is moving, really moving now to formally recognise grooms um, in the way that it recognises owners, riders, a lot of other stakeholders, but it hasn't done for grooms. And the FEI president, Ingmar DeVos, he admitted that it has been a huge oversight, to be honest. Um, he said he wished it hadn't taken this long. And while we cannot make up for the lost time, we can move forwards and lay the foundations and set a new course for the grooms. And he also talked about, which I thought was quite interesting, some of the reasons why it's not going to be plain sailing, but also why it's not impossible, because the term groom covers a huge range of people from you know your your top professional grooms your jumping grooms which are entering horses flying around the world with horses week in week out um to your mum your dad your your friend who's come along to help you at an event um so it is it's a huge a huge pool of people but there is just there's such vast knowledge and expertise around horse care within that group I mean the sport owes it to those individuals to be heard and to be recognized and all the things that go with that I mean with horse sports focus quite rightly putting welfare of the horse you know front and center their collective knowledge is an absolute goldmine and what are some of the practical steps which are being looked at to support and recognize our grooms so these cover a lot of things really from the big things such as apps, uh, health apps, education apps, um, horse tracking apps, um, support on training and language courses to really simple, easy recognition steps that that federations can do such as you know even little it's not a little thing but including grooms names on team announcements which Britain does as a huge part is a huge thing for a groom to be you know for their horse and their care to be to be listed for something like the Olympics and they deserve to be on those lists and it was also uh, encouraged that grooms names should again be on the start and results lists in the same way um 
but it was also it was really stressed that it can't all just be about IT and tech and apps and that actually the best way to reach and help uh, a lot of grooms is in person and at events and shows themselves. So so that was an interesting point that was raised, too. And on that note of shows, I think there were some suggestions around timetabling and about grooms giving feedback afterwards. Is that right? That's true. There were. Um, this is a biggie and it would really help improve the lives of those people who are working, you know, hours after a show ends and before a show starts, of which grooms are, you know, a huge chunk of that. So Brazilian Olympic show jumper Pedro Venice, he urged the FEI and organisers to consider grooms in show timetables. And he said that he's seen, and I think we probably all have, that, you know, there are times when shows will have classes that, you know, at 10 o'clock at night and then the next is at eight o'clock in the following morning and it's easy to forget that grooms finish two or three hours later than that than that class finishes and they start again a couple of hours before the next class starts so when you've got grooms finishing at one in the morning and starting again at 5 a.m i mean that's a very short night and that's really hard when it's especially thought multi-day shows um and it's day after day and then of course on the on the last day as well he urged organizers to start the grand prix no later than two o'clock because grooms often have you know a long drive ahead of them after they finish after you know they've sorted the horse out and then they're on to the next one so there's some you know steps there that could really really help people and it was also said that equestrian organizers president peter bolland sort of agreed with the points raised and said that he had welcomed an official groom's feedback report after a show he said they know he knows as an organizer that if groom's not had a nice time then very often that translates into the rider not coming back the next year and often organizers as well are very focused on what's happening at the front of what's happening at the front of a show and they need that feedback from what's going on behind the scenes so they really welcome that information and by having a you know a post-show report or a rundown of what was good what wasn't good what could help next time that would really really help them hmm. Really good to hear all that around grooms and their roles and better recognition and support and also getting their feedback. As you say, they're such a knowledgeable group. Thank you, Lucy. Eleanor, road safety is one of those stories that we come back to time and time again at Horse and Hound and it always strikes a nerve with our readers and our listeners. What has prompted you to look at this again this week? Yeah, so we, we've spoken to a couple of riders who have had some really nasty experiences on the road, and and both riders in in both cases felt that you know they they had they were very disappointed in the police reaction, i.e., lack of reaction uh, to their inc- to incidents. The the first rider was hacking out, and uh, a car passed a bit close, clipped the horse, and the horse fell. Luckily, a horse and rider were okay, but even though they had a witness, the police said. You know, we can't do anything about that. Uh, another rider, a para rider, who is um, in a wheelchair because of a spinal injury she had some years ago. She had a nasty fall when the car refused to wait and came past her on a very narrow road. She grabbed the roof. Oh, it sounds absolutely horrific and was dragged up the road by the roof rack. Um, and, and the police did come and take statements. But again, you know, nothing was done. Um, and it, it just, you know, on top of the injuries and the the, ho- the effects on the horses, it must just be like, well, what needs to happen for drivers to be brought to justice? And did you get any response from the police about either of those stories? Um, yeah, so the first force involved, they said they, they made their decision based on the information and description they, uh, about what they described as a non-injury driving offence based on their force guidelines. Um, they said they won't investigate this sort of incident unless there's a significant ongoing threat to public safety. Um, and the second police force just said we were called to the incident and we've closed it pending further investigative opportunities. Okay. And the British Horse Society is taking some action here and trying to work with police forces. Isn't, is that right? What are they doing? Yeah, so I, I spoke to Alan Hiscox, who's the British Horse Society safety director. He's brilliant. He always says he's like a terrier, that he just <laughs> will not leave this alone as he, as he does his absolute best. to. And they've done some great work in making the roads safer for horses and riders. Um, he's been working with lorry driver training people he goes to motoring events he's worked with driving instructors associations and he said he has been working with they've done a lot of work because obviously the one of the issues is that there are a lot of different police forces in the country uh you know and each force has its own priorities and its own budgets um 
but he has been working with the National Roads Policing Unit to try and get some sort of consistency in the way forces deal with uh, incidents involving horses. He's also looking at um, creating a training film for police and he's written to every chief constable and every police and crime commissioner in England and Wales uh, about how they deal with horse-related incidents and he says he's had some really good responses. Okay, and if riders are involved in an incident on the road, obviously it's going to depend on the severity, what action you will take, but um, other things that they're encouraged to do to sort of help raise awareness? Yeah, I mean, one thing that is really important that we, we always mention is to report it to the BHS and they've, they've got their accidents website and they've also got this new horse eye, as in the letter I, app, which you can report things to uh, quickly and easily because that helps partly because if there is an accident black spot, then they can go to the councils and local police force and, and, and sort of work on that and maybe get some warning signs or other safety measures. But also because they've always said uh, up until recently, they believe only one in 10 road incidents is reported to the BHS. And yet if more incidents were reported, they could go to police and, and authorities and say, this is the problem. This is why we need action to be taken. Mm, gives them more clout if they mm. have more of a feel on the scale of the problem. Definitely. Thank you, Eleanor. Lucy, coming back to you, we're back with the FEI Sports Forum. We're back with Tokyo. It's my favourite topic. Um, you, there was an update at the forum on final preparations for the Olympics. What sort of things have been going on at the equestrian venues out in Japan in recent weeks? So things are really ramping up now, as we were talking about with selection lists earlier, but really ramping up in, in Tokyo itself as well. Um, we heard at the Sports Forum about changes that have been made uh, since the test event and as well as the huge amount of extra COVID protocols to contend with. So in terms of physical changes, we've heard that the final warm-up's been installed at the Equestrian Park. There's been additional spectator seating added and the gallops footing there, which many commented on perhaps not quite being up to standard expected at the test event, has, has been relayed. Um, there's no, obviously there's going to be no international spectators this year. There's a decision coming on whether domestic spectators will be allowed. So I think that's on the 30th of June. Um, we also, it was also confirmed, which we'd heard before, that the cross-country course at Sea Forest has been shortened, which means there's now a new start area. There's a second stabling tent uh, with lots more cooling facilities been put in place, um, sort of down by the stables, in the warm-up area, and at the cross-country finish. And there's also another extended warm-up arena um, down there as well. There's still a few sort of logistical things to be finalised, uh, such as transport for support crews, given that they can't use public transport when they're in Tokyo. Um, but sort of more details and more information is coming all the time. But it's starting to feel really real. Hmm. And we've also had some news about how the horses will actually travel out to the games. Can you fill us in on those details? Yes. So we're now within the 60 day period of where sort of horses movements are being being tracked and things. Um and the majority are going to go into quarantine in Arken. And from there, um, most horses are flying out from Belgium. So I think there's maybe one or two flights going from Australia, but the vast majority of horses going to the games will fly from Liège uh, in Belgium. I think there'll be two flights per discipline. And there's a few challenges uh, at the moment with regards to quarantine. Um, as we know, we've been reporting in news in recent weeks that Germany isn't allowing travellers from the UK at the moment. So it's there's a few questions up in the air there about um, horses coming in for quarantine. Um, and But we've been assured that that that's being addressed at the very highest level and I think there's a few nations as well doing domestic quarantines and things too so so plans very much ticking along and it's all it's really positive to hear how people are working out how it can happen rather than it not happening if, if you get my gist there yeah definitely and kudos to those riders who are finding a way to uh to not to get around the rules that's the wrong phrase but to work within the rules and still travel and get the competitions they need like those who are going from britain to germany for Lemoulin next week um and uh, are going via another country to uh to spend the appropriate time there before going on i uh, i salute their, uh, their their bravery and their tenacity in working through all that paperwork lucy finally on tokyo there was some information given about contingency plans in the timetable in the case of adverse weather what's the story there 
So we know it's going to be very hot and very humid in Tokyo, hence all the talk about the cooling areas and the cooling fans. There was a big chunk in the in the sports forum, again, which I think we've heard in previous sports forums, stressing the need for preparation and um, how to prepare horses and riders, not just riders, you know, grooms, everyone for, for the conditions out there. Uh, but we also heard that there's going to be a 24-hour contingency period in case of, you know, really extreme climate conditions to... Um, to hopefully manage to get those those equestrian disciplines finished in 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 better better heat and humidity conditions so there's a little bit of flexibility in the timetables there which hopefully won't be needed but it's good to hear that they're there they're there if they are well i have been preparing for the heat and humidity this week by going on an online shopping spree and refreshing my summer wardrobe so hopefully that's exactly the sort of thing that everybody <laughs> is recommended to do i've got new shorts new dresses all arriving so i'm ready for tokyo i thought you were going to say you went somewhere really hot to go shopping <laughs> <laughs> no i went to my desk and click click clicked online climatization <laughs> yep um, talking of timetables, this is probably a good moment to mention that even regardless of those delays, Horse and Hand will be coming out on Friday the 30th of July, not Thursday the 29th of July. That's during the first week of the Games and that change in our timetable is to allow us to report the, the full team dressage competition in that issue. Uh, we'll be going to press at a different time of the week to normal. We'll all be incredibly confused all week, but um, you heard it here first. Horse and Hand will be out on Friday the 30th of July not Thursday the 29th that week so don't get angry if your postman if he doesn't bring it or with your news agent if they don't have it we will obviously be flagging that in the magazine in advance as well but something to remember thank you to Lucy and Eleanor for joining me today to look at the week's news So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. In this episode, we're going to look at mounting and why some horses are difficult to mount and how to teach them to be better. First off, let's start with why do horses not want to be mounted? Well, there's three main reasons. The first reason is they could well be frightened. A horse that's never seen a human being on their back or has had a bad experience of a human being on their back is going to be anxious and worried. So this needs to be addressed and get getting your horse's confidence through groundwork. When you're getting on a horse, you should always have your inside rein slightly shorter than your outside rein. And the reason for this is if your horse does become flighty, the chances are they're going to move forward. So you need to control this movement. And if you already have your horse's head in a position where you can start to bring them into a circle around you, then you're going to be able to gain control and teach your horse to come back to you, stop, relax, it's okay. If you don't have this um, ability when you're getting on your horse to control them around you, there's a chance they could either stiffen their neck and run directly forward or worse still, turn away from you and run, both of which will put you in a dangerous position and a position where you can't teach your horse that if you come around me, and relax, it's going to be fine. And that's how I reassure um, horses that are worried that the answer is not to run from me, but to come back to me and relax, even when I'm getting on. And eventually, with repetition, your horse will learn that your, your movement and your sitting on them is fine if you keep coming round. Okay, another reason horses uh, might find mounting a bit of an issue is anticipation. So you can't go anywhere without looking at the pain factor. If your horse is uncomfortable when you're getting on, either due to saddle or some other ailment, then your horse is, is going to object to being mounted. So it's always a good idea to make sure your horse is comfortable and if they're not comfortable, there's also 
important to notice that it could be the cause of the problem there and then. But if your horse has experienced pain in the, in the past, this anticipation of it can linger for some time after. Um, another thing that horses do, which is really frustrating, is when you put your foot in the iron, your horse shuffles backwards or swings their backside away from you. And this is anticipation as well. They know you're about to get on and initially it may be a little bit of fear or a little bit of I don't want to. You put your foot in the iron, the horse feels a little bit of what's this, moves away and then your foot comes out of the, out of the iron and your horse feels a release from that slight worry or feeling that they, they were having. Another reason that a horse may not be very good to, to mount is they could be frustrated. And this frustration can be accumulated. The groundwork is they're a bit, they, they sort of push through you and you're sort of wrestling them to, to get stuff to happen or their mates gone out into the field or, you know, you've taken them to a new environment and they're just, they're not in that learning space or that happy space, I suppose you could call it. So there, there are a few reasons why this happens. And so how do we start to correct it? I've seen people sort of who have trouble mounting their horse um, do a various number of things to try to correct them. Um, they've put their horses against a fence, which is a way and, and can, can work for some people. Um, however, there's a couple of problems with this. If your horse is really claustrophobic, this is making the mounting quite a high intensity process because they're put into this claustrophobic situation. So it tends to be that your horse doesn't improve from doing this. Uh, another thing that people do when they're, when they're mounting their horse is their horse moves away. They hop down off their mounting block, walk their horse in a small circle and put them back. Now, this is fine. And, and you will eventually win your horse with this just through pure perseverance. However, if you think of what you're actually doing in terms of um, how a horse learns is you're stepping up onto your mounting block. You're presenting a question to the horse. The horse is answering that question by moving away from you. And what you're doing when you hop down and move your horse away from that question is you're basically giving the horse an incorrect answer or you're saying what you've done is right and I'll reward you by stepping away from you. So it's, it's something in terms of how a horse's mind works that needs to be considered in how you're correcting behaviors. And that's an example of that. There's a couple of corrections that can work but I've also given you reasons why they may not. So how do I teach a horse to, to stand by a mounting block and or stand while they're being mounted? Well, it's, a, it's accumulation of groundwork. So having the ability to be able to control your horse on the ground. And in particular, there's two movements that, that I need to be able to, to perform the the exercise to teach my horse to stand well even before i start i've got to make sure my horse is okay to be moved around with a whip i don't think of whips as something to abuse a horse with i think of whips as something more more akin to a conductor's baton something that orchestrates movement within my horse or helps me to orchestrate movement within my horse so with this whip, I want to be able to control my horse's hip, be able to step my horse's hip laterally around me. So from the left to the right, while my horse's front end either doesn't move or only moves slightly. This is an important control for me to be able to, to have on my horse. The next exercise, which is really important, is being able to move my horse from the left side of my body to the right side of my body. And I do this by offering my hand out to the left and asking my horse to take a few steps in that direction, sort of similar to the way I might ask my horse to lunge off. When my horse has moved off a few paces, 
I then control the hind end around so they're almost facing back past the front of me again. So there's a sort of combination of forward and hind end control. And then I'll repeat this back to the right. So once you've got this act of being able to pass your horse from left to right, your horse will need to be able to walk under a whip and follow your, your lead rein direction across the front of you while you hold your whip in front of your horse but above them and teach them to walk under it. This is a great exercise for generally getting your horse to walk, walk under objects. Um, but it's specifically important for mounting in the way this exercise is going to work. So if your horse looks at the, looks at the whip and thinks, I can't possibly walk under it, then just increase the angle so it's more vertical and make it easier for them just to walk past it. And then as they've walked past it a couple of times, just start to hold it more horizontal until they can see the whip in front of them. And you'll see them almost lower their head and go under. Once they're comfortable with this, now you can go to the mounting block. From the mounting block, ask them to come across the front of you in exactly the same way you did on the ground and then ask them back the other way. Once you've done this and your horse sort of knows this pattern a couple of times, now it's time to teach your horse that the best place when you're using this pattern to stand and get a release is underneath you or by your side. So you'll ask your horse off to the left as they come by you or into a position where you want them to stand, just relax, just allow them to stop. If they choose to carry on walking past you, pick them up and use the exercise that I've talked about and bring them back across to your right, paying particular emphasis to push the hind end all the way around so they can walk in a straight line back past you. As they walk back past you again, make the point of relaxation or the point of no pressure right by your side where you would want to mount them. And with repetition of just this simple exercise, your horse is going to think, well, it's a bit difficult to keep walking past him. And I get corrected and brought back into a line. And I'm feeling this sense of nothing happening when he's by my side. So I'm going to try standing there and not pushing past him. At this point, when your horse chooses to stand, just relax and let your horse settle into that position. This is the first point where your horse has chosen to stand next to the mounting block. All you've done is created some questions or opportunities for your horse to answer this question. Walk too far past, then they'll get redirected. Stand by the side, they get a reward and we can build from here. Well, I hope that's been useful. Give it a try. And if you're struggling with understanding how this works, I have a website, yourhorsemanship.com, where this is explained in full. Good luck with that. See you all soon. Thank you, Jason. Next week, Jason will be back to talk about how to train horses to be pleasant to hack out, including riding quietly behind other horses and being led if necessary. We'll also be talking to British Olympic long-listed show jumper William Funnell. We'll look back at Victon International and we'll talk about all the week's news. Thank you for joining us today on the Horse and Hound podcast. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.